The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson. Being an account of their adventures in the strange places of the earth after the foundering of the good ship Glen Carrig through striking upon a hidden rock in the unknown seas to the southward, as told by John Winterstraw, gentleman, to his son James Winterstraw in the year 1757, and by him committed very properly and legibly to manuscript. Chapter 14 In Communication Now of the search which we made through the valley for the body of Tompkins, that being the name of the lost man, I have some doleful memories. But first, before we left the camp, the bosun gave us all a very sound tot of the rum, and also a biscuit apiece, and thereafter we hasted down, each man holding his weapon readily. Presently, when we were come to the beach, which ended the valley upon the seaward side, the bosun led us along to the bottom of the hill where the precipices came down into the softer stuff which covered the valley, and here we made a careful search, perchance he had fallen over and lay dead or wounded near to our hands. But it was not so, and after that we went down to the mouth of the great pit, and here we discovered the mud all about it to be covered with multitudes of tracks, and in addition to these and the slime we found many traces of blood but nowhere any signs of Tompkins. And so, having searched all the valley, we came out upon the weed which strewed the shore nearer to the great weed continent, but discovered nothing until we had made up towards the foot of the hill, where it came down sheer into the sea, Here I climbed, onto a ledge, the same from which the men had caught their fish, thinking that if Tompkins had fallen from above, he might lie in the water at the foot of the cliff, which was here maybe some ten to twenty feet deep. But for a little space, I saw nothing. Then suddenly, I discovered that there was something white down in the sea away to my left, and at that I climbed farther out along the ledge. In this wise, I perceived that the thing which had attracted my notice was the dead body of one of the weed men. I could see it but dimly, catching odd glimpses of it as the surface of the water smoothed at whiles. It appeared to me to be lying curled up and somewhat upon its right side, and in proof that it was dead, I saw a mighty wound that had come near to shearing away the head, and so after a further glance I came in and told what I had seen.
At that, being convinced by this time that Tompkins was indeed done to death, we ceased our search, but first, before we left the spot, the bosun climbed out to get a sight of the dead weed man, and after him the rest of the men, for they were greatly curious to see clearly what manner of creature it was that had attacked us in the night. Presently, having seen so much of the brute as the water would allow, they came in again to the beach, and afterwards were returned to the opposite side of the island, and so, being there, we crossed over to the boat to see whether it had been harmed, but found it to be untouched. Yet, that the creatures had been all about it, we could perceive by the marks of slime upon the sand, and also by the strange trail which they had left in the soft surface. Then one of the men called out that there had been something at Job's grave, which, as will be remembered, had been made in the sand some little distance from the place of our first camp. At that we looked, all of us, and it was easy to see that it had been disturbed, and so we ran hastily to it, knowing not what to fear, thus we found it to be empty. For the monsters had digged down to the poor lad's body, and of it we could discover no sign. Upon this we came to a greater horror of the weed men than ever, for we knew them now to be foul ghouls who could not let even the dead body rest in the grave. Now after this the bosun led us all back to the hilltop, and there he looked to our hurts, for one man had lost two fingers in the night's fray, another had been bitten savagely in the left arm whilst a third had all the skin of his face raised in wheels, where one of the brutes had fixed its tentacles, and all of these had received but scant attention because of the stress of the fight, and after that, through the discovery that Tompkins was missing. Now, however, the bosun set to upon them, washing and binding them up, and for dressings he made use of some of the oakum which we had with us, binding this on with strips torn from the roll of spared duck which had been in the locker of the boat. For my part, seizing this chance to make some examination of my wounded toe, the which, indeed, was causing me to limp, I found that I had endured less harm than seemed to me, for the bone of the toe was untouched, though showing bare, yet when it was cleansed I had not overmuch pain with it, though I could not suffer to have the boot on, and so bound some canvas around my foot until such time as it should be healed. Presently, when our wounds were all attended to, the which had taken time, for there was none of us altogether untouched, the bosun bade the man whose fingers were damaged to lie down in the tent, and the same order he gave also to him that was bitten in the arm. Then the rest of us he directed to go down with him and carry up fuel, for the night had shown him how our very lives depended upon a sufficiency of this. And so all that morning we brought fuel to the hilltop, both weed and reeds, resting not until midday, when he gave us a further tot of the rum, and after that set one of the men upon the dinner. Then he bade the man Jessup by name, who had proposed to fly a kite over the vessel in the weed, to say whether he had any craft in the making of such a matter. At that the fellow laughed, and told the boatswain that he would make him a kite that would fly very steadily and strongly, and this without the aid of a tail. And so the boatswain bade him set to without delay, for that we should do well to deliver the people in the hulk, 
and afterwards make all haste from the island, which was no better than a nesting place of ghouls. Now, hearing the man say that his kite would fly without a tail, I was mightily curious to see what manner of thing he would make, for I had never seen the like, nor heard that such was possible. Yet he spoke of no more than he could accomplish, for he took two of the reeds and cut them to a length of about six feet, then he bound them together in the middle so that they formed a St. Andrew's cross, and after that he made two more such crosses, and when these were completed he took four reeds maybe a dozen feet long, and bade us stand them upright in the shape of a square, so that they formed the four corners, and after that he took one of the crosses and laid it in the square so that its four ends touched the four uprights, and in this position he lashed it. Then he took the second cross and lashed it midway between the top and bottom of the uprights, and after that he lashed the third at the top, so that the three of them acted as spreaders to keep the four longer reeds in their places, as though they were for the uprights of a little square tower. Now, when he had gotten so far as that, the boatswain called out to us to make our dinners, and this we did, and afterwards had a short time in which to smoke, and whilst we were thus at our ease the sun came out, the which it had not done all the day, and at that we felt vastly brighter, for the day had been very gloomy with clouds until that time, and what with the loss of Tompkins, and our own fears and hurts, we had been exceeding doleful. But now, as I have said, we became more cheerful, and went very alertly to the finishing of the kite. At this point it came suddenly to the boatswain that we had made no provision of cord for the flying of the kite, and he called out to the men to know what strength the kite would require, at which Jessop answered him that maybe ten yarns senate would do, and this being so, the boatswain led three of us down to the wrecked mast upon the further beach, and from this we stripped all that was left of the shrouds, and carried them to the top of the hill, and so presently, having unlaid them, we set to upon the senate, using ten yarns, but plating two as one, by which means we progressed with more speed than if we had taken them singly. Now, as we worked, I glanced occasionally towards Jessop and saw that he stitched a band of the light duck around each end of the framework which he had made, and these bands I judged to be about four feet wide, in this wise leaving an open space between the two, so that now the thing looked something like to a Punchinello show, only that the opening was in the wrong place, and there was too much of it. After that he bent on a bridle to two of the uprights, making this of a piece of good hemp rope which he found in the tent, and then he called out to the boatswain that the kite was finished. At that the boatswain went over to examine it, the which did all of us, for none of us had seen the like of such a thing, and I misdoubt not few of us had much faith that it would fly, for it seemed so big and unwieldy. Now I think that Jessop gathered something of our thoughts, for calling to one of us to hold the kite lest it should blow away, he went into the tent and brought out the remainder of the hemp line, the same from which he had cut the bridle. This he bent onto it, and giving the end into our hands, bade us go back with it until all the slack was taken up, he in the meanwhile steadying the kite. Then, when we had gone back to the extent of the line, he shouted to us to take a very particular hold upon it, and then stooping, caught the kite by the bottom, and threw it into the air, 
whereupon to our amazement, having swooped somewhat to one side, it steadied and mounted upwards into the sky like a very bird. Now at this, as I have made mention, we were astonished, for it appeared like a miracle to us to see so cumbrous a thing fly with so much grace and persistence, and further we were mightily surprised at the manner in which it pulled upon the rope, tugging with such hardiness that we were like to have loosed it in our first astonishment, had it not been for the warning which Jessop called to us. And now, being well assured of the properties of the kite, the boatswain bade us to draw it in, the which we did only with difficulty, because of its bigness and the strength of the breeze. And when we had it back again upon the hilltop, Jessop moored it very securely to a great piece of rock, and after that, having received our approbation, he turned to with us upon the making of the Senate. Presently, the evening drawing near, the boatswain set us to the building of fires about the hilltop, and after that, having waved our good nights to the people in the hulk, we made our suppers and lay down to smoke, after which we turned to again at our plating of the senate, the which we were in a very great haste to have done. And so, later, the dark having come down upon the island, the boatswain bade us take burning weed from the center fire and set light to the heaps of weed that we had stacked round the edges of the hill for that purpose. And so in a few minutes the whole of the hilltop was very light and cheerful, and afterwards having put two of the men to keep watch and attend to the fires, he sent the rest of us back to our senate making, keeping us at it until maybe about ten of the clock, after which he arranged that two men at a time should be on watch throughout the night and then he bade the rest of us turn in so soon as he had looked to our various hurts. Now, when it came to my turn to watch, I discovered that I had been chosen to accompany the big seaman, at which I was by no means displeased, for he was a most excellent fellow, and moreover a very lusty man to have near, should anything come upon one unawares. Yet we were very happy, in that the night passed off without trouble of any sort, and so at last came the morning. So soon as we had made our breakfast, the boatswain took us all down to the carrying of fuel, for he saw very clearly that upon a good supply of this depended our immunity from attack, and so for the half of the morning we worked at the gathering of weed and reeds for our fires. Then, when we had obtained a sufficiency for the coming night, he set us all to work again upon the Senate, and so until dinner, after which we turned to once more upon our plating. Yet it was plain that it would take several days to make a sufficient line for our purpose, and because of this the boatswain cast about in his mind for some way in which he could quicken its production. Presently, as a result of some little thought, he brought out from the tent the long piece of hemp rope, with which we had moored the boat to the sea anchor, and proceeded to unlay it until he had all three strands separate. Then he bent the three together, and so had a very rough line of maybe some hundred and eighty fathoms in length. 
Yet, though so rough, he judged it strong enough, and thus we had this much the less senate to make. Now presently we made our dinner, and after that for the rest of the day we kept very steadily to our plating, and so, with the previous day's work, had near two hundred fathoms completed by the time that the boatswain called us to cease and come to supper. Thus it will be seen that counting all, including the piece of hemp line from which the bridle had been made, we may be said to have had at this time about four hundred fathoms towards the length which we needed for our purpose, this having been reckoned at five hundred fathoms. After supper, having lit all the fires, we continued to work at the plating, and so until the boatswain set the watches, after which we settled down for the night, first, however, letting the boatswain see to our hurts. Now this night, like to the previous, brought us no trouble, and when the day came, we had first our breakfast, and then set to upon our collecting of fuel, after which we spent the rest of the day at the Senate, having manufactured a sufficiency by the evening, the which the boatswain celebrated by a very rousing tot of the rum. Then, having made our supper, we lit the fires, and had a very comfortable evening, after which, as on the preceding nights, having let the boatswain attend our wounds, we settled for the night, and on this occasion the boatswain let the man who had lost his fingers, and the one who had been bitten so badly in the arm, take their first turn at the watching since the night of the attack. Now, when the morning came, we were all of us very eager to come to the flying of the kite, for it seemed possible to us that we might effect the rescue of the people in the hulk before the evening. And at the thought of this, we experienced a very pleasurable sense of excitement. Yet before the boatswain would let us touch the kite, he insisted that we should gather our usual supply of fuel, the which order, though full of wisdom, irked us exceedingly because of our eagerness to set about the rescue. But at last this was accomplished, and we made to get the line ready, testing the knots, and seeing that it was all clear for running. Yet before setting the kite off, the boatswain took us down to the further beach to bring up the foot of the royal and t'gallant mast, which remained fast to the topmast. And when we had this upon the hilltop, he set its ends upon two rocks, after which he piled a heap of great pieces around them, leaving the middle part clear. Round this he passed the kite line a couple or three times, and then gave the end to Jessop to bend onto the bridle of the kite. And so he had all ready for paying out to the wreck. And now, having nothing to do, we gathered round to watch, and immediately the boatswain giving the signal, Jessop cast the kite into the air, and the wind catching it lifted it strongly and well so that the boatswain could scarce pay out fast enough. Now before the kite had been let go, Jessop had bent to the forward end of it a great length of the spun yarn, so that those in the wreck could catch it as it trailed over them, and being eager to witness whether they would secure it without trouble, we ran all of us to the edge of the hill to watch. Thus within five minutes from the time of the loosing of the kite, we saw the people in the ship wave to us to cease veering, and immediately afterwards the kite came swiftly downwards, by which we knew that they had the tripping line and were hauling upon it, 
and at that we gave out a great cheer, and afterwards we sat about and smoked, waiting until they had read our instructions, which we had written upon the covering of the kite. Presently, maybe the half of an hour afterwards, they signaled to us to haul upon our line, which we proceeded to do without delay. And so, after a great space, we had hauled in all of our rough line and come upon the end of theirs, which proved to be a fine piece of three-inch hemp, new and very good. Yet we could not conceive that this would stand the stress necessary to lift so great a length clear of the weed, as would be needful, or ever we could hope to bring the people of the ship over it in safety. And so we waited some little while, and presently they signaled again to us to haul, which we did, and found that they had bent on a much greater rope to the bite of the three-inch hemp, having merely intended the latter for the hauling line by which to get the heavier rope across the weed to the island. Thus, after a weariful time of pulling, we got the end of the bigger rope up to the hilltop, and discovered it to be an extraordinarily sound rope of some four inches diameter, and smoothly laid of fine yarns round and very true and well spun, and with this we had every reason to be satisfied. Now to the end of the big rope they had tied a letter in a bag of oilskin, and in it they said some very warm and grateful things to us, after which they set out a short code of signals by which we should be able to understand one another on certain general matters. And at the end they asked if they should send us any provision ashore, for, as they explained, it would take some little while to get the rope set taut enough for our purpose, and the carrier fixed and in working order. Now, upon reading this letter, we called out to the bosun that he should ask them if they would send us some soft bread, to which he added thereto a request for lint and bandages and ointment for our hurts. And this he bade me write upon one of the great leaves from off the reeds. And at the end he told me to ask if they desired us to send them any fresh water. And all of this I wrote with a sharpened splinter of reed cutting the words into the surface of the leaf. Then, when I had made an end of writing, I gave the leaf to the bosun, and he enclosed it in the oilskin bag, after which he gave the signal for those in the hulk to haul on the smaller line, and this they did. Presently they signed to us to pull in again, the which we did, and so when we had hauled in a great length of their line, we came to the little oilskin bag, in which we found lint and bandages and ointment, and a further letter, which set out that they were baking bread, and would send us some so soon as it was out from the oven. Now, in addition to the matters for the healing of our wounds and the letter, they had included a bundle of paper in loose sheets, some quills and an inkhorn, and at the end of their epistle they begged very earnestly of us to send them some news of the outer world, for they had been shut up in that strange continent of weed for something over seven years. They told us then that there were twelve of them in the hulk, three of them being women, one of whom had been the captain's wife, but he had died soon after the vessel became entangled in the weed, and along with him more than half of the ship's company, having been attacked by giant devilfish as they were attempting to free the vessel from the weed, and afterwards, 
they who were left had built a superstructure as a protection against the devil fish, and the devil men, as they termed them. For until it had been built, there had been no safety about the decks, neither day nor night. To our question as to whether they were in need of water, the people in the ship replied that they had a sufficiency, and further that they were very well supplied with provisions, for the ship had sailed from London with a general cargo, among which there was a vast quantity of food in various shapes and forms. At this news we were greatly pleased, seeing that we need have no more anxiety regarding a lack of victuals, and so in the letter which I went into the tent to write, I put down that we were in no great plenitude of provisions, at which hint I guessed they would add something to the bread when it should be ready. And after that I wrote down such chief events as my memory recalled as having occurred in the course of the past seven years, and then a short account of our own adventures up to that time telling them of the attack which we had suffered from the weed men, and asking such questions as my curiosity and wonder prompted. Now, whilst I had been writing, sitting in the mouth of the tent, I had observed from time to time how that the boatswain was busied with the men in passing the end of the big rope round a mighty boulder, which lay about ten fathoms in from the edge of the cliff which overlooked the hulk. This he did, parceling the rope, where the rock was in any way sharp, so as to protect it from being cut, for which purpose he made use of some of the canvas and by the time that I had the letter completed, the rope was made very secure to the great piece of rock, and further, they had put a large piece of chafing gear under that part of the rope where it took the edge of the cliff. Now having, as I have said, completed the letter, I went out with it to the bosun, but before placing it in the oilskin bag, he bade me add a note at the bottom to say that the big rope was all fast, and that they could heave on it so soon as it pleased them, and after that we dispatched the letter by means of the small line, the men in the hulk hauling it off to them so soon as they perceived our signals. By this, it had come well on to the latter part of the afternoon, and the boatswain called us to make some sort of a meal, leaving one man to watch the hulk, perchance they should signal to us. For we had missed our dinner in the excitement of the day's work, and were come now to feel the lack of it. Then, in the midst of it, the man upon the lookout cried out that they were signaling to us from the ship, and at that we ran all of us to see what they desired. And so, by the code which we had arranged between us, we found that they waited for us to haul upon the small line. This did we, and made out presently that we were hauling something across the weed of a very fair bulk, at which we warmed to our work, guessing that it was the bread which they had promised us. And so it proved, and done up with great neatness in a long roll of tarpaulin, which had been wrapped around both the loaves and the rope, and lashed very securely at the ends, thus producing a taper shape convenient for passing over the weed without catching. Now, when we came to open this parcel, we discovered that my hint had taken very sound effect, for there were in the parcel, besides the loaves, a boiled ham, a Dutch cheese, two bottles of port well padded from breakage, and four pounds of tobacco in plugs. 
and at this coming of good things we stood all of us upon the edge of the hill and waved our thanks to those in the ship, they waving back in all good will, and after that we went back to our meal, at which we sampled the new victuals with very lusty appetites. There was in the parcel one other matter, a letter, most neatly indicted, as had been the former epistles in a feminine handwriting, so that I guessed they had one of the women to be their scribe. This epistle answered some of my queries, and in particular I remember that it informed me as to the probable cause of the strange crying which preceded the attack by the weedmen, saying that on each occasion when they in the ship had suffered their attacks there had been always this same crying, being evidently a summoning call or signal to the attack, though how given the writer had not discovered. For the weed devils, this being how they and the ship spoke always of them, never made a sound when attacking, not even when wounded to the death. And indeed, I may say here, that we never learnt the way in which the lonesome sobbing was produced, nor indeed did they, or we, discover more than the merest tithe of the mysteries, which that great continent of weed holds in its silence. Another matter to which I had referred was the consistent blowing of the wind from one quarter, and this, the writer told me, happened as much as six months in the year, keeping up a very steady strength. A further thing there was which gave me much interest. It was that the ship had not been always where we had discovered her, for at one time they had been so far within the weed that they could scarce discern the open sea upon the far horizon but that at times the weed opened in great gulfs that went yawning through the continent for scores of miles, and in this way the shape and coasts of the weed were being constantly altered, these happenings being for the most part at the change of the wind. And much more there was that they told us then and afterwards, how that they dried weed for their fuel, and how the rains, which fell with great heaviness at certain periods, supplied them with fresh water, though at times running short they had learned to distill sufficient for their needs until the next rains. Now, near to the end of the epistle, there came some news of their present actions, and thus we learnt that they and the ship were busy at staying the stump of the mizzenmast, this being the one to which they proposed to attach the big rope, taking it through a great iron-bound snatch block, secured to the head of the stump, and then down to the mizzen capstan, by which, and a strong tackle, they would be able to heave the line so taut as was needful. Now, having finished our meal, the boatswain took out the lint, bandages, and ointment, which they had sent us from the hulk, and proceeded to dress our hurts, beginning with him who had lost his fingers, which, happily, were making a very healthy heel. And afterwards we went all of us to the edge of the cliff, and sent back the lookout to fill such crevices in his stomach as remained yet empty, 
where we had passed him already some sound hunks of the bread and ham and cheese to eat whilst he kept watch, and so he had suffered no great harm. It may have been near an hour after this that the boatswain pointed out to me that they and the ship had commenced to heave upon the great rope, and so I perceived and stood watching it, for I knew that the boatswain had some anxiety as to whether it would take up sufficiently clear of the weed to allow those in the ship to be hauled along it, free from molestation by the great devil fish. Presently, as the evening began to draw on, the boatswain bade us go and build our fires about the hilltop, and this we did, after which we returned to learn how the rope was lifting, and now we perceived that it had come clear of the weed, at which we felt mightily rejoiced, and waved encouragement, chance there might be any who watched us from the hulk. Yet though the rope was up clear of the weed, the bite of it had to rise to a much greater height, or ever it would do for the purpose for which we intended it, and already it suffered a vast strain, as I discovered by placing my hand upon it, for even to lift the slack of so great a length of line meant the stress of some tons. And later I saw that the boatswain was growing anxious, for he went over to the rock around which he had made fast the rope, and examined the knots, and those places where he had parceled it, and after that he walked to the place where it went over the edge of the cliff, and here he made a further scrutiny, but came back presently, seeming not dissatisfied. Then, in a while, the darkness came down upon us, and we lighted our fires and prepared for the night, having the watches arranged as on the preceding nights. You've been listening to The Boats of the Glen Carrig by William Hope Hodgson, read by Paul R. Potts. This audio recording is made available under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 2.5 license. Find out more at creativecommons.org. Links for the project can be found at thepotshouse.org. Music for Chapter 14 is by Call from the album Apophasis. This work is available at darkwinter.com. Sound effects are taken from the album Thaw, field recordings from Minnesota, available at wanderingear.com.